Hey everyone, Hoppo here. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get into the studio because of the COVID outbreak, so the quality of these episodes may not be as good as usual. But stay safe, and uh, we'll get through all this together. Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad, and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way, and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I'm joined by Bondi and Bronte local legend, Billy Morris. Bill chats about growing up in the area surfing, some of the local characters and his passion for surf photography. Then we go to Beach Banner and later on to the mailbag to answer questions from the fans. Well, this week in the Beach Shack, it's a pleasure. It's a long time uh, friend. I thought uh, this episode we'd, we'd get in and chat about the... Uh, Growing up around Bondi, eastern suburbs, all the way to Maroubra, and uh, I think all the listeners out there will enjoy this one because uh, today in the shack we've got uh, Billy Morris. How are you, Bill? Yeah, good, thanks, Hoppo. How are you, mate? Yeah, mate, good. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, you know, I think what a the perfect person to talk about uh, the eastern suburbs, and uh, you've been around for a long, long time, so... Let's go back to the early days when you were growing up and, and, and give us an insight on, on what it was like, uh, you know, from Bondi all the way through the beaches to Maroubra. Well, a lot of people think I'm, I'm just a brony guy, but actually I grew up in Bondi. I started surfing at North Bondi. I've always lived in Bondi. Uh, I didn't really go around to Bronte until my teens, so all through my early childhood and that I was... Um, hanging down at North Bondi. My uncle was actually captain of bon- North Bondi Surf Club. He was actually a wrestler, professional wrestler as well. His name was Alf Woods, Dr. Alf Woods. Right. And so, yeah, so I grew up there. I was in North Bondi Nippers. Um, and as I said, learned to uh, surf at North Bondi on a cool light uh, before progressing to a glass board. And that was in my early teens, just before I started hanging around with a bunch of uh, Ramwick North kids when I went there for high school and that's how I ended up drifting over around the point to Bronte side. Well mate, uh, as you know, I grew up there at, at Bronte as well and that was sort of the, the, the beach that uh, drew a lot of people into, a lot of characters down that way and uh, yeah. you know, for people that don't know, you've, you've got, uh, when I was growing up, you had the, the cubes, which was a little area everyone used to sit next to the surf club and, and then over the other side, the south end, where the huts were, we used to call it the den, you know, so den, give us a little bit of uh, about some of those days on, on how the, the two groups sort of split up, but we sort of all still surfed out in the, in the ocean at the same time. Yeah, well, I was actually over at the den, as you call it. We used to just call it the sheds. It was kind of like an older crew, a lot of good surfers like Brett Miller, the Miller brothers, and um, oh, Danny Davis, and a lot of the guys. There used to be a band uh, that used to play for our gully gushons at Christmas time. Um, just trying to remember the name. 
just lost it off the top of my head. But anyway, we were the younger crew to those guys and we used to hang in those concrete sheds over the south side. And the cubicles didn't really eventuate until like, probably the, the late 70s or early 80s. Um, and then the younger crew from us started hanging around down there at the cubicles. And the older crew drifted away from the south side of the beach, got into other things, and we ended up sort of drifting over to the cubicles and hanging out over there during yeah. the early 80s. Well, I remember um, back in the day, you know, those the panel vans would line up in the, you know, the old Sandman panel vans in the, in the in, in, over there. And I remember... Um, you know, Reg uh, Prasad has his shop uh, you know, over there with and, yeah. and Storm Carter had the surf shop. And, yeah, the surf you know, shop. You know, yeah. there's, there's a great era going all the way back um, a long time. And some of, so what about some of the characters that, that you grew up with down there at Bronte? Well, there was, um, there was Reg, as you said. He was always a popular character. And uh, the, the Carter brothers, Storm, who opened the surf shop. I think that was in the late 70s. Um, we also had a pinball parlour. Uh, next door to the surf shop and we used to hang out there and play computer games and pinball machines and it was actually a I think an Italian guy or that used to own it named Ray and he couldn't speak much English and we always used to bag him all the time and he'd kick us out of the shop and we'd come back again he'd let us back in and and that went on for years um, but yeah there was a lot of good characters down at Bronte I mean um, there was a guy called Rowan Arnold. Uh, he was pretty crazy. I don't know if you remember him. He um, yeah, I remember Rowan. Yeah, he was a genius. He was like ducks of the of Waverley College School, but he ended up going over to India in the late seventies. And when he come back, he just wasn't the same person. He yeah. got into the drugs a bit, and uh, he used to wander the beach and just do really weird stuff. And we were all kind of scared of him because we were the younger guys, so we used to try and keep <laughs> away from him. But, um, but yeah, there's a lot of older guys that were characters like uh, Peter Jelfs and um, his brother, and they were pretty much the, you know, the, the gatekeepers of Bronny Reef. If anyone come out and was out of line, they'd sort them out. And, but they used to look after all us young guys, and, you know, we used to surf out there all the time with them, and, yeah, they were great. It was good older well, well, tell us about that because there was a real hierarchy, wasn't it, out on off Bronte Reef? There, you've got bunnies and you know the the, the suck up and you know into the orphan in close. And I remember as a kid, you start off just catching little waves off the orphan, and then you try and progress into that uh, lineup further out. But it was quite quite difficult yeah, to get a wave at times. Well, we kind of really weren't allowed out Bunny Bay in the beginning. I'm then talking about when I was you know 14, 13, 14, 15. It was kind of hard to go out there and try and get away with those older guys and the guys that really ruled out there were like Steve Moyes, um, yeah. you know, the ex-world champion um, kite flyer. Yeah. And his, uh, all his mates, Danny Davis, he was really good. The Millers, the older Millers, John Miller. So yeah, it was hard for us to go out there and get away. So we used to just hang on the suck up the next break in, little rock shelf, as, as I guess you did too. Yeah. And we spent our time there trying to dodge them coming through from Bunny Bay and eventually as as we got older we kind of moved into that lineup and and shared waves with those guys but we'd always get the scraps and they sort of took everything that was really good and, and 
yeah, it was just a progression like it is anywhere, I guess. Yeah. Although these days it's a lot more cosmopolitan, a lot more people. It doesn't seem to be as many rules anymore. So. Yeah, I noticed that too. I think I don't think the kids these days could cope with uh, the rules and regulations nah. that we had to go through back in the day because, uh, you know, if you, if you did arc up, you didn't last very long. I spent, no, that's it. Uh, when your feet touched the sand, you, uh, you copped a little bit of a hiding. Yeah, or you get tied up to the grommet pole or something and <laughs> pants. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of <laughs> Well, I think my era was more the uh, your Wayne Orchard and that out there ruling when I was yeah. coming through as a as a kid, and they were uh, they were quite full on sitting out there at bunnies. Yeah, Wayne was pretty ruthless in the surf. Um, <laughs> Sean was a bit more mellow, but but yeah, they were great surfers. We're, I mean, yeah. they were all in Bronny board riders and. Yeah, we had a lot of good times down there during the board riders' years. Yeah. Storm Carter used to run it. and um, Yeah, and Reg, as you're talking about Reg, Reg was always a bit timid in the surf. Um, he used to hang in near the orphan, and we used to give him a hard time about that because <laughs> he used to hang on the shore break all the time. He was a bit scared about getting out to the suck up or Bunny Bay. So, but, yeah. but, yeah, I mean, he was a great kid, and we had a lot of good times hanging up at his joint up in the flats above the beach and watching the surf and skating out the front on on the driveways we, we call the wave i'm yep. um, on the old surface sam skateboards and yeah it was great it was great times during the late 70s yeah the other thing with um bronte when i was growing up a lot of the older guys would say if, if you can surf bronte and handle bronte you can pretty much go and surf anywhere in the world and if you look at the how many surfers have come through bronte and ended up on the pro tour and how many great surfers we've had down there that that haven't gone onto the tour but that they've been the standard's been very very good over all these generations yeah we've had plenty of good surfers come out of there i mean just guys like um rodney kerr and tom whittaker i mean there's just two yeah. off the off the bat luke hitchings yeah. i mean yeah we're for a small beach and a small crew um we've definitely had some top class surfers come out of that beach i'm not sure why I mean, it is a heavy wave, Bronte, as is Tamarama as well. I mean, it's dangerous. The, the rips are bad, and it's a, it's a lot heavier than what Bondi is. Um, and I guess that might have something to do with how those guys progressed and and became better. I mean, even now, the younger guys are charging. I mean, you'll see them out on huge days at Bronte, and even out going out to the break off the cemetery and surfing there at that reef. I mean. Never really used to do that back in the day, and yeah. now you find whenever there's a big swell, they're pretty much surfing it to any size. I mean, whether it's like yeah. ten feet, they're still jumping off the rocks and getting out there. And yeah, I, I'm pretty proud of all those guys to have a yeah. go like that. We never used to back in the day, that's for sure. Yeah. Also, the um, you know growing up at the beaches, a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah, you know, everyone used to bag everybody. You know, growing up and. And I remember, um, you remember Dribbles, um, yeah. who passed away, but I remember coming down and, and he'd just rip anyone apart, you know, just bag them and bag them and bag them. And the funny thing, I remember one day when one of the guys came down, he didn't bag him, and uh, he got quite offended, the guy that didn't get bagged. And the, growing up at the beach was like, if you didn't get bagged, meant they didn't like you. So if you got bagged, mean they liked you. So yeah, it's, well, it's, it's I a, guess a that's, weird sort of it's thing. It's always been the Australian way, though, hadn't it? We just ripped yeah. into each other as mates. And, you know, I guess that was a sign as you're part of the crew, you know. If, you, yeah. if you're not getting bagged, I guess you're on the outer and people probably don't trust you. So, yeah. But, yeah, Dribbles, he was one of the all-time characters down there. And 
He was a little bit younger than me, I guess. Is he your age? He's yeah, close. Probably like a, a year or two older than me. Yeah, okay. But yeah, he was like the younger guy, and he copped a lot himself. I mean, from the yeah. older guys because he was a smart ass and he got into <laughs> everyone. And so the older guys are always, you know, they're always grabbing him and rubbing his face in the sand or <laughs> tying him up or whatever. And I remember a lot of times he used to get really upset and he'd, he'd even cry yeah. and stuff yeah. from the beatings he used to get. But but he never backed down and he was a funny guy I mean he had yeah. a huge following I remember at his at his wake it was yeah. just crazy you couldn't couldn't fit enough people into where we were and uh, it was such a shame to see him pass away early in his life yeah because, um, everyone loved him he was a great guy yeah. and was a, a very very good surfer as well he was, he was. He he was, was right a great surfer yeah I mean he yeah. was Sponsored by Hot Buttered, I think, in the, in the 80s and, and Rip Curl, maybe even. And yeah, we used to travel. I mean, we used to go up the coast with drivels a lot and surfing competitions. We used to go on all the APSA events and, you know, we'd drive up to Byron for a couple of weeks. And yeah, I did a lot of trips with Drips. Yeah. He was, a, he, was a, he was a great guy to travel with. So you grew up, you know, you do all the, uh, the surfing and everything. So, but then you got into photography. So, Tell us how, when that started and, and what sort of prompted you to do that? Uh, I was always into cameras and, and photos. I mean, even as a kid, even down those early days at North Bondi, I'd, I think my parents gave me like a little Instamatic camera and I'd be just, you know, snapping away and we'd put the roll of film in and get it back, the black and whites. And I was always kind of fascinated by capturing moments on cameras and and I guess that sort of progressed into my teens uh, when I got a bit better camera and I started shooting around the board riders at Bronte, getting a few shots here and there. And then when I finally started working, I, I bought a really good camera before I started traveling. And I started going to Bali and, and over to uh, Grudgigan, to G-Land and surfing with a few mates. And I took my camera and lens over there and and just started recording our trips and I was shooting a lot of slide film back then which is luckily is what the magazines were using and I used to come back home and we'd have slide nights at my place and get on the beers and you know reminisce about the trip and one day a guy called Tony Nolan who worked for Trax magazine he came round he used to develop all the stuff for Trax and he came round to one of our slide nights because he only lived up the road and um and he said, oh, he said to me after one of the slide nights, he said, oh, do you mind if I grab a couple of these images and take them into the magazine? I said, he said, there's a couple of good ones there. He said, I'll show them to the editor. And I said, yeah, sure. And I didn't really think much of it. And the next minute I had a couple of spreads in the mag and they actually gave me a check. And, and I was like, well, this is, this is like how I can maybe <laughs> pay for some film and, you know, whatever, a new tripod or something, maybe yeah. if I get a bit more. And, so that slowly snowballed and I started trying to concentrate on shooting guys around here that were good and eventually they threw a couple of little trips at me and were happy with those and then it just progressed from there. I started getting right. sent away to to Indonesia on boat trips with, with major pros and and yeah, and it just I didn't really realise it before long I was just um, travelling around the world shooting with the best guys and yeah, it became a business for me. Where do you think the best shots you've done? Like what, what, 
is it around the eastern suburbs or is it the trips away or it's hard to really sort of define what the best is? I probably, I mean, Australia on the east coast especially is, is probably not the easiest place to get your best photos. In, in saying that, these days they're shooting everywhere, these slab waves that we weren't really attacking back in the day. But I probably found I started getting my best stuff when I did travel, especially to Western Australia, because I think over there the light's really good and and the beach breaks were really good. And uh, I found that I started getting some really good shots. And, and I actually, I got a really good water photo of um, Michael Barry, Michael Munger Barry, a Queensland guy, uh, which won an Australian Photography Award. And that's how I, it really progressed my career. I um, got noticed by magazines over in the US and uh, I started working for them and also got picked up by a couple of companies over in Europe uh, shooting their stuff for like their um, their advertising and, and that's where it really snowballed when I started working for companies and earning, earning pretty good money. So, mm. so yeah, I think in answering your question, probably when I started traveling to places like Western Australia and then Hawaii and places like that, that's probably where I started getting, I thought, the majority of my good stuff. Yeah. And did you have uh, any sort of training or was just a, a, something, you, as you said, you did as a kid and progressed uh, I, and I just did, learnt on the way? I did photography at school and um, right. I learned a lot through there. We had a really good photographer as a teacher there and he taught me a fair bit. But actually, I haven't been to college or done anything professionally outside of school. It was pretty much just learn on the job. And as I said, I didn't expect it to really go that far as it did. Yeah. And I primarily was mainly a you know surf action photographer. So I just learned from other guys and yeah. um, and trial and error pretty much. Yeah. So, but they were all the film days and. I mean, that was the best training you could do to shoot film because you really had to get your stuff right. You had to know your exposures. You had to know how to use a manual camera. Whereas these days, everything's automatic and you pretty much mm. can shoot as much as you want. And if you stuff up, you just fix it up in post in Photoshop. So yeah. <laughs> it was a different, yeah. different kettle of fish back in those days. But yeah, yeah, that was, um, that's how I learned properly. Do you find um, all the photographers that, that do do the uh, surfing shots is it beneficial though that you're a surfer, you know the critical points where the surfer's gonna be to take that shot? I think definitely, especially in the water. I think if you're swimming with a camera, knowing how waves break, not being a surfer. I think the best water photographers are probably bodyboarders because yeah. they're strong in the legs from using flippers and that's a big part of it. You have to be a good swimmer and you have to you know, have a bit of have a bit of ticker and swim out when it's kind of solid. And so, yeah, if you've got that knowledge, if you've got that water knowledge and wave knowledge from being a surfer, and you're willing to have a go, then yeah, that's that's probably for water photography. That's a real advantage. Yeah. Um, as standing on the beach, I mean, I mean, you still see. I think people that don't understand surfing probably don't get as good as shots. But I think an average surfer from the beach can get a pretty good shot these days. Yeah. Has there been a time where you've been in the water doing the photography and obviously you've got to get right into that impact zone to get the shot, but then you absolutely get belted and pounded because you get in that, in that position that you probably wouldn't have in a normal situation? Oh, for sure. I mean, 
especially when you're shooting with a fisheye lens and you've got to get close, which I used to do a lot. I was obsessed with fisheye in the early days, but I think everyone was. I mean, during those late 90s, early 2000s, I mean, there was a lot of good fisheye guys and they were the shots that usually made the magazines, especially the bigger yeah. size shots of spreads and stuff. So, yeah, that, that type of photography where you've got to be right in the face of the surfer and coming really close, um, you're also right in the impact zone of where the wave's breaking. Um, so, so yeah, you get flogged for sure. I yeah. mean, as you do when, you, when you're surfing on, on those kind of waves as well, paddling yeah. out or whatever. But, um, but yeah, you, you're definitely copping waves on the head and, uh, and copping a beating every now and again. <laughs> yeah, so this day and age now, is it disappointing, as you said, like back in the day, you had to be a good photographer, know the different the lighting and, and, and exposures and everything. But now technology has caught up and, and anybody can start taking shots. Magazines, you know, the shots are out before they even get to the magazines these days. Yeah, well, that's that's probably the part that's actually ruined it for everyone. The internet's destroyed magazines and magazines are worried still about using content because it's already been thrown up. Yeah. Um, they tend, I think, to lean towards their own organized shoots these days. Yeah. They try and steer that away from any, any kind of exposure before it's done in the magazine. Yeah. In saying that, they'll still run good shots that have already been run or you, whatever you see on Instagram if it's good enough. But yeah, in the whole, I think they're trying to take a different tact to what the instant stuff is that you see on websites like Surfline and yeah. and wherever. And it becomes a hard choice when you're actually, you know, a professional photographer trying to supply those, that supply that media, both medias with, with images. You've got to make the choice whether to keep a, sh- a new shot from the web yeah. and save it for a magazine in the hope of getting it run, which you might not, um, mm. or giving it straight to the web um, and having it posted for for a smaller price, you know what I mean? Right. Because the internet just doesn't pay the same as what a magazine does. So yeah. it's always cheaper, but um, but yeah, that's where you've got to draw the line. You've got to work out what you want to give to the website straight away and what you want to hold back and right. supply the magazine with. Yeah. Well, mate, you've watched so many surfers over the years, all the way from Bondi to Maroubra, yeah, what surfer is there? Anyone that stands out, or that there's there's a group the, that would stand the, up from here, from the eastern suburbs? From from the eastern suburbs. That's a really hard question. I mean, back in the day, Shane Horan was amazing. I mean, didn't see too much of him yeah. after he took off on tour, except what you'd see in the mags or the rare appearances on the TV in those days. But. Yeah. Um, he was definitely one. I remember when he was very young at Bronte when I first started hanging out there, and he's the same age as me when we were about 13. Um, he was just ripping Bronte Reef, and I was just blown away by how good he was at such a young yeah. age. Um, and he went on, of course, to, you know, what do you get, four seconds yeah. to the world title. So Probably the best surfer ever, never to win a world title. Yeah, for sure. And probably the best surfer to come out of... Uh, this area I'd yeah. say yeah. Um, but besides that I mean there's a lot of good guys Tom Whitaker used to be really good 
him and Luke Hitchings, they were for Bronny guys. They were kind of who I really liked to watch surf. Yeah. Um, very strong, powerful surfers. Um, really good in bigger waves too. Um, and then there was guys at Maroubra too, like um, Kobe Abaddon and Mark Matthews. They were great to watch too. Yeah. Uh, Wayne Cleveland even charging big waves over there. Yeah. So yeah, um, off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone else. But there's there's plenty. Oh, there's so many, so many good surfers across that that stretch of coastline. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also now, you, as you mentioned before, the the younger guys are taken on these surf breaks. You know, between Bondi and Maroubra, where do you think is the best spot for big waves and, and shooting that big wave around there? Well, I guess Cape Saland has pretty much taken over the mantle as being yeah. the premier heavy big wave spot, especially with all the exposure it's it's had for Red Bull and everywhere else. But um, there's a lot of those slab waves. Cronulla's huge for big waves. I mean, Voodoo and, and over at Shark Island and and, yeah. and as I said, Cape Salander, they're prob- that area in itself's probably got the biggest and and best heavy waves in sydney but then you've got a lot you've got other places like you know on the north side queenscliff bommy and and all those type of waves as well um yeah. even over here the cemetery and that on its day i mean yeah crazy kind of wave and people surfing huge ben buckler off north bonfire yeah. yeah. i mean everyone's having a go these days yeah. as i said before it's um it's pretty nuts watching when you get a big yeah. swell all yeah. these places, just people surfing these days out there. Yeah, it's crazy what they're doing. It's um, definitely gone to another level. There, uh, everyone seems to be taking on the big waves. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's um, I don't know what's got into everyone. Maybe it's because they're not getting enough waves when it's small because it's so crowded. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> well, that's the other thing. That back in you know the seventies, it was basically people that went to the beach and surfed. That's what you did. If you didn't surf, you didn't go to the beach that much. You know, it's sort of a summer thing, you go for a swim. Yeah. But, you know, tell us now the difference from back then to now. I mean, Bondi the other day must have had 200 plus or more surfers in the water. It's just crazy. It's getting frustrating for an older guy, I can tell you that, <laughs> trying to get a wave out there these days. But look, it, it is what it is. I mean, the population's gone through the roof and surfing's just become you know, the thing to do these days. I mean, it's mm. such a popular pastime and it's bored. It's not frowned upon like it used to be. And I think uh, everyone wants to do it. I mean, yeah. you know, the surf schools, they teach kids young these days and they all progress and it, everyone's riding friendlier boards like the soft boards, so, which are a fair bit safer, I guess, than a, than a fiberglass board. So yeah, it becomes easier for people to to get into, and and I think especially just at the moment with um, the way things are and the lockdown and that, and people working from home, it's only increased the amount of uh, crew that are getting out there and and surfing. And we don't have much room on the south side beaches, which is also, I guess, compresses everyone into the breaks. And depending on how the banks are as well, yeah, uh, which haven't been great lately, they're forcing every everybody onto certain spots on the beach and that makes it also a bit more difficult and yeah it's quite dangerous out there actually these days as as you must know as well and yeah. kind of injuries coming into the tower every day down at bondi my, 
must be um, on the up. So, yeah, I mean, I've been run over a couple of times already this year and luckily got away with just dings in my board. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it is getting very crowded out there. Yeah, I mean, our injuries have, have definitely, for head gashes, leg yeah. arms, you know, from people running each other over, it's, it's definitely yeah. getting uh, more and more each each. I try and uh, pick year. my time. I try and pick my time to surf these days. I, um, you know, try and get that window in the morning in between shifts or, um, or maybe later in the afternoon. But it just seems like the whole day is pretty full. Yeah. There's, there's not too many. The, the, the earlies are the things that blow me away these days. The... The early surfs is like crazy. I don't know whether it's, yeah. I don't know whether it's the, I don't know that there's a lot of photographers down there these days trying <laughs> to capture all those guys in the water. And I'm not yeah. sure if that's got a lot to do with it either. People posting and, and like everyone wants to get on, get their shot on the internet or on, on Instagram. So maybe that's got a bit to do with it, but the early's never used to be a crowded thing. And now yeah. these days it's the worst time of, the day to surf it, for crowd wise it's crazy oh, I mean, we turn up to work and they're, they're, there's people out there before it even gets light they're paddling no, out no, it's just it, crazy I've seen a hundred people out there at like <laughs> six in the morning it just blows me away I'm, I'm still hobbling around trying to warm up have a cup of tea <laughs> you're a bit, bit like me mate <laughs> anyway, it's not getting easier I'll tell but also, not only the, the surf photography you do, but you also do some great shots of sunsets and sunrises and, you know, all that side of photography as well. And is that as enjoyable as doing the, the surfing shots? Uh, as enjoyable. Um, I, I don't think anything's as enjoyable as, like, swimming around in the ocean and, and getting photos. I mean, that's where I got most of my enjoyment. But sure, I mean, all photography's enjoyable. Um, I love getting great landscape photos. It's a bit of a challenge. You get out there and set it up and, you know, you've got to know what you're pointing your camera at and, and when the sun's about to burst and, and the clouds are litting up, I mean, you know, I'm often jumping on my motorbike here to race down in the afternoons when, you know, you can see a bit of pink in the mm. sky and you go and try and make that sunset and, and score that really nice sky with a nice lay out a Bronte pool or something so mm. so yeah I mean it's it's all enjoyable and and that's become a bigger part of my business as well considering that surfing these days is kind of the surfing side of it has dropped off so much over the years um, mm. so yeah I had a gallery at Bronte uh, Frother's gallery um, with a couple other people for a, for a few years and that's what kind of really started me getting into shooting more landscape landscape because um it's a kind of a popular thing a lot of people like it and yeah. like buying images of, of the local beaches and yeah well ken but the people listening out there could they have you got uh where can they go you've got a website that they can have a look at photos because you're obviously still selling stuff through uh, online yeah yeah um just my name billmorris.com.au um they can go there and there's a lot on there but also on my instagram bill morris just get on there i've got landscape stuff scattered amongst the surfing images all through there as well and yeah they can either um, direct message me or um, or you can order straight from the website um, I've got a shop on there that um, you can just pick your photo and, and order so um, so yeah get on there and have a look <laughs> yeah I'll it's worth having a look there's some uh, fantastic shots on there oh thanks the, the, I think the toughest photography 
assignment you were ever given is probably when you had to do us when we did our, <laughs> our book out the back with Bondi Rescue. Now, that was a tough one to try and make us look half decent. <laughs> what are you talking about? You guys are movie stars. Not, not that hard. Um, no, that was fun. That was fun doing the book. Um, yeah, got to meet a few guys that I didn't really know. So, yeah, it was. It, it's always good um, getting little jobs like that and getting down, especially when they're local and, yeah. um, and shooting you guys. I mean, it's always interesting watching what you guys do and when I had to do the book and cover all the different aspects, um, you know, with the resus gear and everything and the training and, um, yeah, and just getting out in the water and shooting a bit of stuff of um, a few of the guys that surfed as well. Um, ended up being a great little bunch of um, keepers that, I've, uh, yeah. that I treasure and keep in my files. Um, so, yeah, it's always good to have that stuff around. Uh, yeah, the book was great. Well, mate, with the uh, you spend so much time in the ocean, and obviously me being a lifeguard, we do a lot of rescues. Is there a rescue that stands out? I mean, in my opinion, board riders probably do the most rescues anywhere around Australia because uh, they're in the water from sun up, sun down. Is there anything that stands out at all? There's been a couple of Tamarama that were pretty heavy. Um, I mean, it's such a dangerous little beach, and I mean, I'm nearly drowned there myself when I was young. I was only lucky that. As you said, surfers save everybody. One of my mates saved me on his board. But yeah, there was a couple. I remember one night, I was actually, because I was in the fireys, we were down there one night driving back from a fire call and we stopped uh, Tamarama to have a look at the surf and there was a crew of about four or five young girls and guys. They had a bodyboard. It was the un- and it, they were clinging to a bodyboard and they were getting dra- dragged around in the Bronte Express from Tamarama. And the lifeguards had finished duty and we knew that they weren't around and we were about just to run down the cliff ourselves and strip off and, and jump in, but it ended up a few of the surfers paddled over and they were copping waves on the head and they were screaming out and they looked like they were in a lot of trouble and I was really worried at that stage. That really sticks out in my mind as one of the rescues that I nearly got involved with myself, but um, I don't know, it would have been pretty weird running down, stripping off our fire uniform <laughs> and jumping in in our undies with um, with no flippers to try and save a bunch of kids. We probably got to drown ourselves. But, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of great rescues over the years and I haven't seen, you know, hardly any of them, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you guys do a great job, especially around those beaches and, I think the lifeguards these days are amazing. And, mm. I mean, a lot of them. I don't know whether you handpick them as good surfers, but there's a lot of good surfers in amongst those lifeguards, and I think that's yeah. a real bonus to have, especially when it gets solid, because you've um, you've got to have someone that wants to go out there and get them. It's not like yeah. you know. That's right, but I think that a surfing background makes the best lifeguard because for sure, for sure. they sit there for hours and hours and hours growing up or, or in the water surfing they know the water they know what to look for and they seem to pick up people in trouble so much easier than someone that has never had that experience and we've got to train them when they're on the job yeah for sure i mean um you're definitely right there with the fact that um surfers do make the best lifeguards and as you said surfers carry out more rescues than anyone uh, along the whole, along the coast of Australia, everywhere, you know, lifeguards can't be at every spot all 
you know, especially those late and really early mm. sessions as well, where you um, get people in trouble and someone's got to grab them. But um, but yeah, you're right. The lifeguards are definitely have an eye for what's going on. I mean, I, I know I've just been down the tower talking to them or whatever, and I hear the radio go off and someone, one of the guys will say, oh, just keep an eye on that guy down there, you know, in the corner, or, you know, that bodyboarder who doesn't look like he's really, you know, that great at what he's doing. He's got caught in the rip. And so they're onto it straight away. I mean, yeah, you know, it's not like they're just waiting for someone to stick their hand up. They're... Um, they're actually sort of onto it a lot of the time before yeah. it even happens. So, yeah, I mean, I'm looking now to, to get some sort of a program like to the the WQS, the the qualifying surfing tour, because there's so many surfers that go onto that tour that aren't going to make. I mean, it's so hard to make the championship tour. For sure, it is. So the next best thing is those guys have got that talent. I think the next best thing is they then, when that ends, trying to get onto the tour, they fall back into a professional lifeguard. Uh, where, anywhere around up and down the coast of Australia. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a great career, really. I mean, for someone like that, for sure. Uh, I guess a lot of people have put all their pennies into trying to be a pro surfer. I've sort of lost options for for other careers, considering yeah. they're not doing anything else at the time. So yeah, anything like that that could give them something when they fail or. Um, you know as you said don't make it um would definitely help both you guys and them in you know making use of their great skills so yeah so yeah i think that's a good idea helper for sure mate one last question what does the ocean mean to you what does the ocean mean for me i don't think i could live without the ocean that's for sure um having grown up there since very young it's it's just become, you know, part of your life, m- most of your life. Uh, it's pretty hard for me even these days to spend a couple of days away from it. I have to... I never feel the same unless I've been in the water and had a surf or a swim at least, you know. Yeah. It's, it's just something about it that, that makes you feel amazing. You I mean, you're always yeah. in a better mood. You know, it's just... It, I notice it more these days than I even used to, I think. It just getting down there and having to surf or, you know, even a swim, you're just a different person yep. in, the, in the afternoon. I know my wife always tells me to do it because then I'm more handleable <laughs> when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> Go and have a surf. <laughs> no, but that's great. And, uh, well, but it's, it's great to get the insight, mate, of, uh, you know, that local area because a lot of listeners... Uh, especially the ones that listen from overseas that never get the opportunity to come to Bondi or or around the eastern suburbs and check it out, and they always want to listen and and hear about you know us that have grown up in the area and and, and what it's been like. They all think we're so lucky, and I guess we are. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are pretty lucky. We've got it. We've we've des- definitely got the uh, the the good end of the straw there. I reckon for sure, mate. All right, thanks, mate. I'll uh, I'll catch you down the beach. No worries. Thanks a lot for having me on. This week in the beach shack, we've got uh, Anthony Glick. Glicky, welcome, mate. Thank you, Hop. Thanks for having me. 
Mate, over the years, you've done a lot of photography. Um, you know, started off small and then it got bigger and bigger and then uh, you've been selling some of those and, and then also into uh, putting those prints on towels. So tell us a bit about your business. Yeah, so it all kind of just evolved, as you know. Pop, I, I love the beach. I've loved, you know, the ocean pretty much my whole life. I came to you quite yeah. a long time ago asking for a job. I was yeah. like, I just want to spend every waking moment at the beach. Yeah. And then when I started the job, lifeguarding, I started, you know, with the photography, just for a bit of fun, just to try document the beach and what's happening down there. And people started really taking to it and loving it and sharing it and it all kind of just escalated from there, snowballed. And then I started selling prints, like framed prints and shipping them all around Australia and the rest of the world mm. to people to hang in their rooms. Um, yeah, a lot of people were loving those. They still do. And then one day I was just at the beach and I was like, all these beach towels are so boring. I remember yeah. I was in the North North Tower yeah. Um, should have been watching the water hop, but I, I took a <laughs> You're minute. You're watching the towels yeah. on the beach? Multitasking there. <laughs> um, I was like, every towel is just like stripes and boring. How about like someone who comes to visit Bondi or a Bondi local who wants to, you know, have, a, you know, a memory of their favorite place, have a picture on the beach towel. So I just made one for myself, put one of my Bondi icebergs pictures on there and then brought it down to the beach just for myself. Yeah. And then I hung it up on the North Tower and someone goes, oh, can I please buy one of those? And I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> I got one made, then yeah. I got five made, then 200, and then some, someone asked for like Bronte. And then long story short, it's all kind of evolved um, into a bit of a business. Yeah. Um, started as Destination Towels, but now I've introduced a few other products, yep. um, jigsaw puzzles, water bottles, you know, beach tote bags. Yep. And I got quite a few other products coming soon. Yep. And yeah, the brand's kind of transitioning into destination label. So yep. it's a bit of a label now. And it's something I'm really passionate about just to kind of showcase, you know, the Australian beaches and yep. beaches around the world on everyday products that yep. people love so it's pretty exciting and it's all photos like as you said beach based like whether it's waves or sunsets or you know sunrises it's it's got a bit of everything isn't it and not just bondi you've branched out into other yeah. other locations yeah exactly so it started with bondi and the eastern suburbs tama bronte all the three beaches we work at yep. and then it just evolved expanded Coogee. then you got like the northern beaches then Queensland, Western Australia, you know, Victoria. Mm. And then I've got a few from like Italy, all those sorts of places. Yep. And someone like you, Hop, you can probably resonate to yep. like the products, you know, you see it and you yep. can, you get a feel for it. Um, it's something different. Yeah, I mean, it's different. And it's also great product as well. It's, you've got the photo, but the product, uh, you know, the, the towels are really, really good. And, exactly. You know, all the, that's, that, and that's the, the, other thing you can have great photos as well but you also need a great product and i think you've combined that extremely well and so where can anyone you know listening jump on and, and buy some of these uh products yeah you can um visit destinationtowels.com um, and we're also available in probably around 200 shops around australia now so um yeah we do quite a lot of stocking shops around australia um, just check our website and you can find a stockist near you. 
But yeah, we do ship all around the world on a daily basis. And yeah, as you said, it's like the product's actually good itself because it started by me wanting to make a towel for myself. And, you know, I made it something that I would want to use. And I think we spend enough time at the beach to know what a good beach towel is. Um, And then it all just evolved from there. Well, that's right. And um, I know how passionate and I've watched you from the beginning when you started this and, you know, you're so passionate about it. And I think that's when uh, products go really well. You need to have the passion behind it. It's not a matter of just selling whatever you want to sell. You've got to have that passion. And and it's um, been a a great achievement. You've been going for a fair few years now and uh, it's good to see it succeeding and getting out there. Thank you, Hop. Yeah, it's it's definitely passionate about it, but you do like as a business owner, small business owner, you get your days where you're not as motivated, but then, you know, the end goal when you see someone on the beach yep. walking with your towel or using it to dry themselves off, you know, that's what keeps me motivated. Yep. Well, know? we might even run a, a bit of a competition or something down the track that people that have bought the towels or bought the products, take a photo, send it through to Life's a Beach uh, Instagram and let's see yeah. how many we can get coming through. And you might go out and buy one now and then take the photo and send it through. So exactly. anyone uh, out there, uh, go and check out the website. Sounds good to me, Hop. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks for coming in, uh, giving a, a, a rundown your business. Thank and, you, uh, Always good to have you in the beach shack, mate. Thank you, mate. Cheers. This uh, letter is from Bianca and she's from Sydney. Have jet skis made a difference for lifeguards during rescues? Well, definitely uh, when I first started, it was only a board. You had to go out and rescue people and no matter whether it was uh, two foot or whether it was about 15 foot, you had to use the rescue board. It's all you had. But now when we get the massive surf, um, it's a lot easier to take out the jet ski. It's made the job uh, a lot more efficient and quicker to get people back in. Also, when we've got massive crowds and there's a lot of people uh, getting caught in rips, uh, the jet ski is very handy. You can bring in multiple people at once, whereas a rescue board, you can only really bring one or two in at a time. So it does save us a lot of work and uh, they are very, very helpful. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.